G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Vision Christian Radio is all about connecting faith to life. From inspiring stories about the struggles we all face, to helping you understand the issues going on in the world, to clear and understandable Bible teaching, all peppered with great Christian music, the latest news, and even a few laughs along the way. You're about to experience just a small part of what we do. For the full experience, tune into a Vision Christian Radio FM or AM station near you. Listen online at visionradio.org.au or download our free app. There is going to be a special sitting of Parliament on union corruption in April and a, and they will call a double dissolution election if that legislation is not passed. Mr Turnbull called a snap media conference in his parliamentary courtyard in Canberra this morning to make that announcement and apparently he's bringing forward the federal budget by one week to May the 3rd to allow more time for the union corruption bills to be considered. Well, it's significant and it has a whole lot of meaning on a whole lot of different dimensions. Uh, Let's talk through some of these things uh, in our regular updates, a political agenda update with the Australian Christian Lobby. And Lyle Shelton is joining us. Hello, Lyle. Welcome along to 2020. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Lyle, there's some big issues for us to talk about, and I don't want to miss an opportunity to go through some of those things that are the upshot of those decisions late last week about the review of the Safe Schools Coalition bullying program. Uh, But uh, this is the big breaking news right now. Uh, Your thoughts on, on how things have begun to unfold in Canberra this morning? Yeah, well, quite an extraordinary start to the week uh, here in Canberra. It's a brisk, uh, cool autumn morning here, and the Prime Minister has been out uh, in his parliamentary uh, courtyard announcing to the media that the budget will be brought forward from its normal date of uh, May 10 to May 3. This means Parliament will be recalled uh, on the 18th of April, and uh, this gives the uh, Parliament the opportunity to consider the uh, legislation around the Australian Building and Construction Commission. Uh, This is um, legislation designed to provide a watchdog over uh, building unions uh, where there's been a lot of uh, corruption on uh, building work sites. Uh, the government sees this as a, as a seminal piece of legislation and they're looking to use this as a trigger for a double dissolution election, possibly for July 2, uh, simply because the government knows that uh, this legislation is unlikely to be passed by the Senate where a majority of crossbenchers are against the legislation. And for a whole lot of different reasons and all sorts of equations and uh, people doing uh, the the detail and crunching numbers on when dates can be, if there is a federal budget there to be held on May 3rd, it allows that early election uh, there in the early part of July, perhaps July the 2nd. Uh, that has big ramifications too for the idea and uh, we don't want to sort of get lost in that because it's very important talking about those things. But uh, but what we ordinarily talk about uh, quite often is this issue of the marriage plebiscite, which for some people actually overshadows what will happen in the election. And the outcome of the election actually can determine how marriage is uh, is voted on in Australia. Uh, the idea of a marriage plebiscite this year is now very much on the agenda, Lyle Shelton. 
Yeah, that's exactly right, Neil. And uh, I think, um, certainly my analysis, is that this marriage issue and the politics of, of marriage is very much uh, part of this decision to bring the budget forward from May 10 to May 3 to pave the way for a, a possible July 2 election because that would then give the Australian Electoral Commission enough time to organise uh, the, the promised plebiscite uh, before Christmas. And uh, I think the government is determined uh, to, to try and um, bring this on sooner rather than later. Um, there are certainly many in the government uh, at very high levels who, who want to see uh, same-sex marriage legislated, marriage redefined, and I think uh, they uh, want to, to get on with this. So um, I, I think the politics of marriage is very much playing uh, into this decision. It is a big issue, this uh, issue of union corruption too, and uh, if that is a trigger for a double dissolution election, uh, obviously there'll be pressure on those crossbench senators uh, to pass the legislation. Now there's a very real threat, isn't there? Yeah, well, this is the fascinating thing, Neil, because... Uh, these crossbench senators who uh, will all but be wiped out by a double disillusion election uh, because of the uh, voting reforms that were passed in that marathon sitting uh, last week, uh, these crossbench senators are faced with a real choice because if they uh, vote in favour of the ABCC legislation, the, uh, the, the construction industry um, bill that's proposed, uh, th then that means that there won't be a double dissolution election and they will be able to serve out uh, their times because um, their, their Senate terms, most of these crossbenchers are on a six-year uh, Senate term, which means they've got another four years to serve. And if we don't have a double disillusion uh, election uh, the, and just the normal Senate half election, uh, these senators get to stay on in the Senate for another four years before they are wiped out. But if there's a double D election, they get wiped out straight away. So, Neil, it'll be interesting to see whether self-interest comes into the equation. And um, I've watched politics long enough to know that self-interest is a very, very powerful motivating force in politics. And uh, we, we might even see some of them roll over and support the government legislation simply so that they can stay in the parliament for another four years. I guess the question, Lyle, would be that if uh, if those senators on the crossbench decide to support the government and there isn't a trigger when it comes to the ABCC, are there other triggers that the government can use if they are desperate to have a double dissolution election and clear up their problem in the Senate? Yes, there are. Um, my understanding is there are, are two other triggers, but they're of a uh, a minor sort of a nature and and perhaps wouldn't be um, wouldn't have the political uh, weight um, to, to justify a double D on uh, one of them is um, is to do with uh, oversight of, of unions uh, having uh, ASIC style uh, oversight of the corporate governance of unions it, it's a technical issue probably not one that would uh, galvanise uh, the, the population so I think for the government to really have um, political cover to do something as as bold as a double dissolution election that really does need uh, legislation that is substantive um, having been rejected by the Senate and of course this um, corruption uh, issue on, uh, on on construction sites uh, would certainly give them uh, that and, and uh, would, would make a lot more sense politically uh, than perhaps a couple of these other minor triggers which are, which are based on technicalities essentially. I guess the person who would decide whether there was a substantive issue that could trigger a double dissolution would be the Governor-General. I guess there'd be some pressure on him as he's watching these events unfold as well. 
Yes, from, from what I understand, um, the substantive pressure on the Governor-General would be to agree to the recalling of Parliament on April 18. Um, the, the, the legislators, uh, both the upper house and the lower house, uh, are essentially independent uh, and if the Senate decided it didn't want to come back on the 18th, that would be a very interesting standoff between the Governor-General and, and the Senate. So there's a question mark there. With regard to a double dissolution trigger, I think the convention of our um, constitutional system is that uh, the Governor-General would grant a double dissolution if uh, legislation has been rejected. Uh, I think it's uh, three times by, uh, two or three times by the Senate. I just can't remember the exact number. So I, I don't think there's any dispute there or any issue there with what the Governor-General would do in terms of a double dissolution trigger, I think the more substantive issue relates to whether um, Parliament could be recalled and whether the Senate could be recalled uh, if it uh, was against the Senate's will uh, for that April 18 sitting. So a early budget puts us on track for an early double dissolution election uh, if there is a trigger that comes in April where the government will uh, try and get its uh, legislation through about the ABCC. We'll be following that very carefully and uh, undoubtedly uh, listeners will be able to keep up to that to date with that in uh, Vision National News. Uh, Lyle, let's come to this Safe Schools program. A major win last week and I guess you'd be, I'm sure, uh, mixed emotions but pretty happy with the way that things have gone with the uh, the review of that Safe Schools program. I guess you probably didn't anticipate that it would actually be scrapped but that an overhaul would likely take place. Uh, how do you feel about uh, the way things panned out last week? Yeah, Neil, certainly we're very thankful. Uh, it's a very good first step and I'm very thankful for all of the people and all of your listeners and uh, the other uh, family groups uh, that were involved in, in uh, working uh, to expose this to the public's attention and that's been a very successful campaign and there's been uh, a terrific job done in the parliament by more than 40 uh, backbenchers who signed that letter to the Prime Minister calling for, for this uh, to be scrapped. Um, so, so there's been a lot of work done by a lot of people on a lot of fronts to get to this point. But um, the review announced by the education, oh, sorry, the, the announcement by the education minister Simon Birmingham on Friday, whilst it has taken out some of the uh, very extreme elements of the of this program, uh, and, and that is welcome, uh, it has still left intact uh, the gender ideology. So, children will still be taught things like gender is fluid. Uh, that uh, you can still identify uh, with a, with an opposite ag opposite gender to your biology uh, if you wish to. Um, I'm trying to get confirmation from the minister's office, but my understanding is too that uh, the program still encourages schools to change their toilet policy so that boys uh, or young men, essentially in year 12, identifying as girls can be in the girls' toilet. So there's still a lot that is wrong with this program. Um, the idea that you that teachers shouldn't be referring to students as he or she or, or boys and girls, that I understand is still there. The elements of the gender ferry uh, for four-year-olds, which says that no one can tell you what your gender is, uh, that um, ideology is still laced through the program and that still needs to be addressed. Lyle, let me ask you about thoughts on different states taking a different position to what the Federal Education Minister might have come to. Uh, talking about the Victorian government saying that the changes have gone too far and, and they don't want to change the program at all. 
No, well, the Victorian government is taking a very extreme uh, view on this. Uh, they are, are very isolated in, in their view, um, but uh, they, they are determined to press ahead with the program as it stands, with all the extreme elements, with the, the say, schools promoting the, the Minus 18 website, uh, which, which even um, you know the Federal Minister agreed was inappropriate. I mean, this, is, this has had links to uh, sex toy shops. Um, it's had links to gay bars, uh, to pornography, all sorts of horrible things as well as instruction in uh, how young people can bind their chests, uh, young girls can bind their chests so their breasts uh, are compressed, uh, young boys tucking their penises, this sort of instruction um, in radical body-altering uh, things, which, which we know, you know from research, uh, gender reassignment surgery uh, and, and setting kids on a pathway to that uh, is very, very dangerous. Uh, we know from research this doesn't uh, make people happy. Uh, and in fact, uh, people 10 years after gender reassignment surgery have a 20 times higher suicide mortality than the average population. And uh, Safe Schools uh, is not telling kids the, the truth about uh, radically altering their bodies with surgery and, and hormones uh, and is encouraging and instructing uh, young people on a path uh, to that, which is very harmful and very dangerous. I guess the idea that that Safe Schools program was about bullying is now, I guess, for most people, completely dispelled. You'd be familiar with a leaked video late last week, I think it was on Friday, which showed that one of the writers of the State School of the Safe Schools program admitted that it wasn't about bullying at all. That's uh, Roz Ward. Did you see that video? I have, and I've been sharing that on Twitter and Facebook as well, and uh, I'd encourage people to go and uh, and look at that. Um, a number of organisations have put that on their Facebook pages. You could probably Google it. But uh, Roz Ward is captured at a 2014 um, uh, lecture uh, saying that uh, this is not about anti-bullying at all, but it's more about um, teaching young people about LGBTIQ uh, issues. So um, out of Roz Ros Ward's own mouth, um, we have confirmation what uh, many of us have known all along. This program has nothing to do with uh, anti-bullying. Uh, anti-bullying obviously is an important message, um, but uh, this program is not that. It is about uh, uh, contested gender ideology and teaching young people that, gen that their gender is something that is fluid. And um, that is uh, something which uh, many people disagree with. Many hospitals like John Hopkins in America, feminists like Jermaine Greer do not agree with. And um, it's a dangerous thing to have in our schools. And uh, unfortunately, that ideology, notwithstanding the very good announcement by the, the minister, that ideology still underpins the program. And uh, then more work needs to be done to, to see this thing uh, taken out of our schools altogether. One of the big things that's come out of this whole process going through the safe schools issue, Lyle, is the fact, and uh, some people might say, oh, that's just someone's uh, beating a drum, but the, uh, the fact that parents basically have lost control of what children are learning at school because uh, they just didn't have much of a say. And I know that this is part of what the education minister wants to do with uh, this review is actually include more parents in uh, the idea of having consent for their children attending these sorts of classes. But, but really what it highlights is that parents basically have lost control, haven't they? Parents have completely lost control of uh, the ideologies that are taught in the public education system. That's a, a real worry. Uh, it is welcome that Simon Birmingham, the minister, uh, said that parents could opt 
uh, out of uh, safe schools lessons. Uh, that that's a good thing. But of course, in Victoria, uh, they won't have that opportunity where where the whole program will remain intact and will in fact be compulsory in 2019. And also in the Australian Capital Territory, the uh, the Greens uh, Minister for Education, it's a Green who's actually the Minister for Education here in the ACT, is is signalling the ACT might follow Victoria's lead. So there's huge problems here in Queensland. The list of schools running safe schools is actually secret. Uh, the government will not reveal that, so parents don't even know which schools uh, are running the program. Uh, so uh, this is a, a real worry. The people who are driving this do not believe that parents have a right uh, to say yes or no to this sort of thing. They think they are the ones who are the professionals and the ones who have the knowledge and therefore the ones who should be able to teach children what they like regardless of what parents think. And uh, that, of course, is a dangerous um, ideology from which to, to come at uh, any aspect of education, let alone something as, as contested as um, sexuality and gender. So you're saying, Lyle, in Queensland, uh, parents can't even find out if their children are in a school that has this safe schools program running. That, that's correct. The list is secret. Right. Well, wouldn't that be a alarm that would be ringing loudly in the hearts and minds of every parent in Queensland uh, that's, uh, that, uh, well, you, you're not being told, so you're being deliberately deceived about what your children are actually learning in school Correct. so far uh, as these ideologies. Yeah, parents, look, I, I think it's time. Parents really need to step up and, uh, and uh, take responsibility for uh, what's happening here and, and demand to know from the government uh, these basic things. Uh, I think uh, we've all been too apathetic as parents and uh, th- there's so much about this program which is uh, so extreme and so controversial. Uh, this is what has been our frustration over 12 or 18 months in trying to bring it to the public's attention um, that uh, there's so much apathy and um, th- the days when we can be apathetic uh, about what our kids are taught at school now are well and truly over. Um, ideologues like Ros Ward and others, uh, this unit at La Trobe University, which has masterminded this, is um, is is a cluster of of activists with extreme ideas, uh, steeped in cultural Marxism by their own admission, and uh, they have captured um, uh, this this space in terms of uh, of of, of uh, this sort of a program for for schools and um, and there hasn't been the courage politically or amongst parents to to resist it but that's got to stop and uh, I'm sure if uh, more and more parents rose up uh, politicians would start to take notice but we've got to start by getting ourselves informed. Well the alarm bells are ringing Lyle Shelton and always appreciate your insights and I suspect that if there are parents and you mentioned the state of Queensland if Parents in Queensland are not interested. They're uh, they're actually negligent in looking after the way that they're uh, ensuring that their children are taught what they would like to see their children taught as parents. And the encouragement would be to parents in Queensland to ring your local school and find out. Ring if... the local school or ring your member of parliament and, and ask them to make the list available. Mm. Well, Lyle Shelton, uh, thanks so much for uh, your insights again today. I point people to the ACL website, Australian Christian Lobby. Simply Google Australian Christian Lobby and you'll find out some of these latest issues and uh, always great resource, uh, background information on what's happening in the nation and particularly when it comes to these very significant ethical issues that every parent needs to be concerned about. Lyle Shelton, thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020. Thank you so much for having us, Neil. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.